Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. By now, you should know that I love Grenache. In fact, I always say that Pinot Noir wants to be Grenache when it grows up. That's why I'm so excited to be a part of the first annual Grenache Fest. It's taking place on November 3rd, 2023 in downtown Walla Walla, Washington at the Historic Motor Co. We're going to kick things off with a seminar moderated by yours truly at 5 p.m., followed by live music, food, wine, and fun from 7 p.m. until. While the seminar is sold out, there are still a few tickets left for the festival, which will feature performances by Stephen Malkmus, M. Ward, and Mark Pickerel. Go to GrenacheFest.com for more information and to purchase your tickets today. Hey, I'm MJ Taller also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is world-renowned hip-hop music producer, MC, and entrepreneur, Will Tell. As an artist and producer, Will has worked with the King of Rock, Daryl DMC McDaniels, Black Sheep, A Tribe Called Quest, Sadat X, Brand Nubian, Wu-Tang Clan, Talib Kweli, Mob Deep, Funk Master Flex, Tony Touch, and Dave Chappelle, just to name a few. Uh, he is the CEO of the True Wine Connoisseurs Group with his partner Sadat X from the legendary group Brand Nubian, which was the first, which is the first black and Latino-owned wine company. And Will is also a board member of the Felix Organization, which was co-founded by Daryl DMC McDaniels from Run DMC. Welcome, Will. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Hey, man, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. Yeah. Um, like, when I first started three years ago, you, you were someone I had on the radar. I remember I reached out to you. That's right. You take care of your pops, and it was COVID, so That's we right. couldn't do it. I forgot oh, that. Right. That's that was the original. That was contact. the original. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. These COVID years. I know. It's, man, it's like got me, you know, fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we had you set up and then like you thought you might have COVID. So we I did. Get, you did, you I, get, you I got the wrong at the time. Yeah. 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 So we here. Um, tell everybody uh, what we drink today and the peace, wines. Peace, peace, everyone. Yeah. Uh, once again, thanks for having me. Um MJ told me to bring a bottle of wine. So, you know, I thought about it deeply in the last two days. I was originally going to go with some Sangiovese because I just think Sangiovese is one of the most diverse wines mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, but I decided to opt out of that and bring you guys an example of some of our wines. Why nice. not yeah. promote our own stuff? So first we have on the right, this is our Cabernet Sauvignon from Italy. It's called When in Rome. So if you see the label, it's uh, yeah, Sadat X and I in the Coliseum <laughs> in, in some toga outfits. <laughs> Over here is our Sauvignon Blanc. Um, this is also from Italy. And what we'll be tasting today is our very first sparkling wine. It's a 
really nice Prosecco. So if you don't mind, I'll I don't pour mind, you a little man. bit. Pour me a little bit. A little tasty taste. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man. Um, so yeah. if you know, obviously everyone is familiar with Andre Mack. And yep. Andre did a really nice piece with our Prosecco as one of his favorite Proseccos. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Yeah, Andre was on. Andre, wait. Andre's way back. He's like episode eight. You're going to be like, you're like 140-something. But Andre came in. Um and everybody knows him. He's blowing up. He's doing the Bon Appetit shit. Absolutely. So a little bit of our history with Andre. Um, when Sadat and I started doing True Wine Connoisseurs, the first hip-hop wine show, um, one of the first episodes blew up, and it attracted the attention of Letty Teague from the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And in the article, we were talking about um, – the evolution of the show. Where are we going to go from here? And I literally was like, I guess the evolution of the show would be to start making our own wine. <laughs> and the first person to reach out to us was Andre Mack. That's how I met him. Okay. He was like, I'll do it now. Yeah. And within two weeks, we sat down and had a lunch and a conversation. And he hooked us up with our first partners. That's dope. That's dope. That was 12 years ago now. So. That's amazing. First of all, this is really isn't fucking good. And and I'll be honest, it's non-vintage, but it is about two years old yeah. now. So, But I mean, you know, uh, most champagne, every champagne house has some type of envy. So that's that's standard. It's really good. Oh, that's, yeah, it's really showing good. It, it's, it's showing good. Um, and I'm proud of what we put our name on. Yeah, so we're going to get into yeah. celebrity wines and all that. Um, but let's start at the beginning, man. Sure. Like, uh, like my man B says, yeah. where are you from? Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, born and raised Brooklyn boy. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've lived there almost all my, except for three years in the nineties that I lived in the Bay area. I've lived in Brooklyn my entire life. What part, what neighborhood you grow up in though? Um, so I was adopted at six months old Wow. and a wonderful family in Park Slope, Brooklyn adopted me and I grew up in Park Slope. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Park Slope. So tell me about that. What was it like? Um, when did you find out you were adopted? Right away. Right away. You, you it it was, uh, yeah, it was, never. it was never something they were trying to hide from okay. me. I knew, I knew from day one and I guess they had little books and stuff. Like, why was I adopted right, by right. Carol Livingston? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah. Like stuff like that. Um, so it was never an issue of, you know, uh, was I or was I not? I knew the deal. They were always upfront about it. Um, yeah, and at six months, I was blessed with a forever home, which yeah. I hate that term, but in the adoption world, that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So did you, my wife was a social worker, so she, so it's, yeah, like. And for those I'm that so, don't know, also, Daryl, DMC McDaniels, is also adopted, so that's why we have this foster program for kids it. like ourselves that were never adopted. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And we're, we'll definitely unpack that, too. Sure. Um I think so. I'm fifty. Shit, I'm fifty five. Yeah. So yeah, we're in, you're you're in that you're in the range with me where there's a lot of uh, I know actually know a lot of kids who were adopted just because abortion wasn't um, well. It's not legal now, right? In some places, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, and it's just it's it was an interesting time those that those period in the late '60s, yep. early '70s, um, and um, so your family that adopted you. Um, did you have any siblings in that family? Yeah, it was a big family. So they had, uh, I have two older brothers and a sister. Okay. 
So I was the baby, I guess, you know, for yep. whatever reasons, I guess my mom or they, whatever, they couldn't have more children and decided they wanted another child and they decided to adopt. Okay. Yeah. And so like growing up, um, you went to uh, public school, Catholic school, what type of school did you go to? I started out in public school. Okay. Um, and then for for elementary school and then for junior high school they try to start me in catholic school okay okay they try to put me in a school called saint francis xavier and all i remember is they they wore yellow dress code and green pants and i didn't want to get beat up from my other friends <laughs> and this is brooklyn you got to remember this is brooklyn in the 70s and 80s this is a war zone yep. this is like yeah, this is not. This is not like. Uh, it's a. It's not like it is now. Right. So it was a real concern of mine to go to school every day with yellow and green pants. So every day my parents would leave the house. I would hide behind the bushes, and then I would wait for them to leave, and then just go back inside <laughs> in my house every day for up to like I think it, I think it went over twenty days. Finally, one of the nuns called my mom. Was like, "Is your son ever going to come to school?" <laughs> And and she was like, sat me down with my dad and what's going on? I said, I'm not going. I decided myself, I'm not going. So that was the end of my that was that was the end of my Catholic school <laughs> young childhood. I ended up in another public school which I loved. So the majority of my schooling days was all public school. Got you. Yeah. Um. So as a kid growing up, Brooklyn, seventies, eighties. Um. When did you fall in love with hip-hop? So I fell in love with hip-hop. My mom was a teacher in Brownsville. Home of the brave. Brownsville. Um, and she was working in a school called High School Redirection, mm. which a lot of people in the Ville know very well. It's no longer there, unfortunately. but And... On certain days, we didn't, we couldn't afford a babysitter, so she just brought me to school. And on one day, they had a talent show, and it was like a hip hop day. This is the heart of breakdancing days. And I remember they put on this one, this one group was doing a routine to Larry's groove, Larry, and they were popping, and that was it. I was like, I'm gonna do that for the rest of my life. This is the coolest shit I've ever fucking seen. You know what I'm saying? So, no, no, no uh, that was pants, it. Yellow shirts. That was it. I didn't care how I did it. I was gonna be a part of that community. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and um, what? Uh, so you saw that, fell in love. Um, what'd you go home? What'd you do? So you go home and start writing rhymes? Did you say, Mom? Not I, even I, at that time. At that time, I think I just started trying to be like a breakdancer. Yes, yeah, so you got a cardboard box. Right, sitting by the train station on Ninth Avenue, Ninth mm -hmm. Street and Eighth Avenue, the F train, with my cousin, with our little windbreakers. You know, you had to have the like the little Tigre or the Izod windbreaker, and just had a cardboard. It was just out there every day popping. I mean, it became such an obsession. Like family events, they'd be like, "All right, Will's gonna pop now. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna do this new dance called break dancing." <laughs> yeah, word. Real talk. I mean, it sounds funny, but that's that's what it was back then. You know, you go, you go to other places, and hip hop is everywhere now. Yeah. But when you were involved in it in the early stages, and you brought that somewhere else, they didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like we would go on like vacation somewhere to like New Hampshire or something, and be like, 
oh, I'm going to pop the nucleus, you know, like right now. <laughs> like, jam on it. They're like, what's this? <laughs> the little city boy is, is doing some weird dance. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. I mean, I think, I mean. That's it, how it was, though. It's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, you know, so it actually worked out when you're coming in now. But anyway, um, but even for me, growing up in Jersey, 40 40 miles from New York City. Like, I remember the first cat, cats moved down from the... With, with um, remember the um, the lead, lead jeans? Of course. And you have your permanent crease? Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, you know, for all y'all out there who don't know, Madonna didn't start the, the name belt. Nah, nah. <laughs> lead jeans was even bigger back in, back in, in my childhood because people would rip off your Lee patch. Mm-hmm. It was a thing. Like, you go to school, and someone had the leather Lee patch on the back. Whoosh, you ripped it off. And then whoever, the more Lee patches you had, the cooler you was. Right. That was a thing. Like, people would have a cigar box full of Lee patches. <laughs> I mean, like, I think, like, it's it's wild thinking back. Like, Lee patches, I mean, I mean, people, you know, people used to get ganked for the, the Adidas like I said, Brooklyn and New York in general in the 70s, that was warrior school. Yeah. It was warrior school. It was either you were victimized or you were, you know, doing the victimizing. Yeah. There was no middle point. Yeah, yeah. And in back then they had a, like a Burger King commercial and it was like, remember the Herb commercial? Yeah. And that became the slang for right. like, Calling if you herb. were the sucker, yo, you the Herb. herb. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm not the Herb you're looking for. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That was a real thing. Yeah. You didn't want to be the herb. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. I think today I was like, try to play me for the herb. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, like, nah, you didn't want to get herbed. Nah. Um, <laughs> and like, but I mean, like, I think, like you said, it's, it is this amazing thing where it, like, yeah, you probably the first person I've ever seen pop or lock in New Hampshire or somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I was the first to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, like, <laughs> I used to be like, yo, what is this kid doing? <laughs> What's this wiki, 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 wiki? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, and then, uh, so, back then, you know, it was it was different too, though, man. It was like. Like you said, it was like you look at some of the early videos. Like you look at like early Dr. Dre. Like they were still kind of wearing the outfits, right? From like the R and B, right? And then, then the tracksuits came in. Well, I think that was more like Lonzo and them. Okay, like you know, because he was down with World Class Wrecking Crew before, and I think that that was that was more like their Steve. Yeah, yep. And then they, I think they went more into like the Raiders type stuff. Yeah, then they started rocking the Raiders. Type yeah, stuff. yeah. What was like the evolution um, from you? Um, being in it, um, you know, so it was Lee jeans. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was shell toe Adidas with no laces. Then it was no laces, and it was fat laces. Remember, no laces. Like how, do, how are you gonna run? How are you gonna function yeah. with no laces? But yeah, that, no laces. I don't think I was ever. I know that was the thing. For yeah, like Run DMC days. Yeah, I never did it. First of all, my parents wasn't buying me Pumas or or Adidas. <laughs> we used to go to the sneaker factory and get Mark Fives. <laughs> Mark Fives. It was yep. like an upside down Puma swoosh. Yep. <laughs> we wasn't. We weren't fortunate enough to have that. I'll be honest. Yeah. 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 That was the big thing in Brooklyn, sneaker factory, yeah. sneaker circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you progress, you know, you start on, like a lot of people break in. What was like kind of like your, your next progression inside of hip hop? Man, 
Yeah. So, I mean, basically, being a fan. Okay. Um, that was really the next step. Um, just being a fan. Always be, you know, once you start with the with the breaking and stuff like that, you're kind of like a part of the culture. Yeah. Um, and back then we didn't have social media, so you couldn't reach out to your favorite artist and be like, yo, what up? Right. <laughs> you right, know, like right. <laughs> thinking of getting in contact with your favorite rapper just wasn't reality. You know, maybe you'll bump into the ministry, but it just wasn't. And I kind of liked it like that more because you didn't get to see these favorite artists of yours waking up in different moods and seeing you know, <laughs> yeah, their real side, right, right, <laughs> which kind of kills it for me sometimes these days. But um, the first real start of me getting into hip hop professionally was in high school. Okay, so I went to a high school that was called City As School, and basically it was for fuck up kids. You know, like you thought you had a talent or something like that, but instead of school, like in classes. You would use the city as your school. Yep. So you would go out and get resources, as they call them. So one of the first jobs I got, and I believe it was for an English credit, was working at, I forgot what credit it was for, but it was working at Jive Records. Mm. Damn. So the very first job I had was working for this guy named Dave Skilkin. Rest in peace, Dave. Um. I walked into the art department. He took me as his assistant. Walked into the art department. He's like, sit at this table with another young lady. He's like, we're going to be working on the album cover for some new group called A Tribe Called Quest. That was my first job ever. <laughs> ever. No Photoshop, nothing like that. So what we had to do was, if you've ever seen the first album cover for People's Instinctive Travels. Oh, my God. It's very interesting. All these little houses and yeah. stuff like that. We had to cut every one of those out by stencil. And then eventually they, they pasted it all together, created this street scene with Q-Tip and Dave working in conjunction. I think I think Q-Tip actually came up with the design for it. But we were the ones who did all the legwork. <laughs> to. So they laid it all out on this big table with a big overhead camera back then. It was like elevated with lighting and Oh yeah, yeah. They used the, the, the overheads in school. Yeah. They and they that's how they shot the album cover. Now that you say that, like I can see I go back to when I was yeah. in school, it does look like That's exactly how so that's how we made it. Kind, the, it's kinda of translucent like an overhead. That's exactly how the Shit. first album Trap Cold Quest album cover was made. And I was glad to be a part of that. That was my very first job. Um, unfortunately, Dave passed away, um, mm. and I I wanted to stay in the hip hop. It was the coolest thing in this world. I got I got a job in high school working at a hip hop label. Yeah. So there was a gentleman that worked down the aisle from the art department. His name was uh, Dwayne Taylor, and he was the publicist for Cool Modi at that time. Um, D Nice, Tribe Called Quest, and at that time it was. Uh, Who's our other artist? Um, who's that kid from? Uh, kid Rock. <laughs> kid Rock. And he had a little single out called Yodeling in the Valley. Wow. And that was a, a, a little weird take on LL Cool J's going back to Cali. And uh. I was like, look, unfortunately, Dave passed away, but I want to stay working at Jive. Right. You, you need an assistant? Yeah. Like, which is going back to my days of being a kid, walking onto construction sites. I'm getting my own opportunity. <laughs> right, right. And I went and spoke to him, and he took me as his assistant. And literally, for the next, I want to say six or seven years, I was his assistant, 
We went from Jive, then we went to Rush, then we went to EMI, then we went to, man, I was just, I worked for maybe five or six different labels. And, and you, you were, were you, did you just, did you finish school? Were you getting credit for this? How, how right. So I, I, I eventually got all my credits and then I eventually was no longer interning and I was working on, okay. on pay, um, for Dwayne, um, and then finally I got enough credits under my thing. I got a first job of my own to be the East Coast publicist publicist for Rap a Lot Records. Shit. All that right, was so my first on my own publicist gig. Okay, man. So yeah. Yeah, I mean there's a lot to unpack for Yeah, Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh Jive, if you listen to like eighties hip hop, now you you'll hear Jive RCA just in the song That's all the it. time. Yeah, BDP, yep, we had, BDP, uh, yep. But it, but it was weird even working at Jive because these artists that you looked up to, even Kumo D going back further, you'd see him in the office without the goggles on. Right, right. W- w- without his little circle hat. Yeah, I'd be yeah. like, yo, put it back on. Look weird. <laughs> like, and then, um, yeah, like D-Nice and Kid Rock would be playing tag in the in the hallways. Like, it was just wild. Like, that's hilarious. For a kid, you know, being 18, like, I was like, yo, I could get used to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that... Right, you said, um, like, I'm thinking about the Tribe Call Quest songs. Not on the first time, but The Business. I think it's on yeah. uh, Midnight Mirage. Right. Yeah. Like, The Business. Like, talk a little. Well, let me back up for a minute. I just want to say something like, and for it's so funny. I thought it was very funny. Not, I don't know if funny is the right word, but like. Like if you knew hip hop, you knew D Nice. My name is D Nice. Taking out your suckers, absolutely. How did it, right? Absolutely. And then like, but he blew up during the pandemic because he started to like he went to a whole different level. Yeah. And I, I think, and it's so funny because you know, so many of these people he's now working with did had no idea who the fuck D Nice was until the pandemic. I knew Derek separately though. So yeah. even when I was working there, this is a funny story. So my best friend, my whole life, his name was Jason Jones. Okay. Okay. So when I got there. I was like, I told him, oh, yo, I'm, a, I'm up at Jive, son. Like, yo, what up? <laughs> he was like, yo, see if my cousin Derek is there. <laughs> Jason Jones. Yeah. Derek Jones. First cousins. Wow. So, like, I, wow. see, I see Derek in the hallway one yeah. day. I'm like, yo, I got your cousin on the phone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> they get on the phone. Sure enough, he wasn't bullshit. That was his first cousin. That's his, like, dad's sister's son. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, we became cool like that. And and besides the whole hip hop thing, like we'd always talk, mm-hmm. like and him and Jay would get on the phone. So it, it, with Derek and I, it became like a cooler thing than just yeah. you know this kid that worked at Jive. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Yeah. yeah. And so and also another, I always used to hear uh, we down with Rush. So you said you worked with Rush. We worked for Rush as well. That was a short little stint, but we had some good artists. That was uh, I think it was right around the like. It must have been like the third base days and stuff like that. So more, I mean, you just sit outside and you just see all these artists and stuff like that. That was that was good. My biggest thing from there is I used to see Jam Master J all the time. Okay. And he was one of my biggest inspirations. Like, you could do this. Like, and I truly believe, like, yo, mm-hmm. you know, my aspirations as a rapper at that time, because I had already started rapping by then, um, was that I could do it. And Jay, I always remember Jay. Before any affiliation with Run DMC or anything like that, always telling me, "Yo, you could do it. You could." Super positive. I loved him for that. I just thought of something when you said that. Like, <clears throat> I think about that early period. Uh, what did uh, Karis want? Oh, Karis said, um, 
no one's from the new school because rap as a whole isn't even 20 years old. 20 years down the line, you can start this because we'll be the old school artists. That's right. Talk about, or what are your thoughts on, and for me, there was a very distinct uh, shift in, I don't know if it's going to say hip hop or rap, but like, it was definitely the East Coast, even the gangsters on the East Coast sang on self-destruction, right? There was right. a whole, it was, it was, it was, there was something you said in one, there was, there was still a positive message going back like to the message. Don't push yeah. me. You know, like, right, right. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about that video of self-destruction. Well, they did it on the West Coast with We All in the Same Gang as well. Right, they did it. So it was more of a movement and a conscious period in hip-hop right. more than I think it was an area of okay. hip-hop. Okay, You dig? Like, yeah, yeah. So I think we went through, we were going through a positive time where, like, people were tired of, you know, gang violence and consciousness. I mean, in general, it was just a time where intelligent people that were making this incredible art form were like, what are we doing yeah. Like, yeah. Why, why are we killing each other again? Can right. someone remind me? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? And I think that we all, like, chipped in at that time to make more conscious hip-hop. I don't know what point it got to where it got back to just pure negativity and stuff like that. Yeah. The thing about hip-hop is it's the voice of the ghetto and oppressed people. Yeah. So when you have these different ghettos or areas of low income there's always going to be people expressing situations that they're going through that are not good yeah right so that's where it got back to that and we stopped using our voices to make it better yeah, instead so of just expressing what you're witnessing or going through right because I, I mean Karis one was very political very i mean you said many of you are intelligent open your mouth and speak right like yep. it was like you would say what was going on but offering a solution you know, right, and then it just became. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I just wanted to get, to, uh, and that's true. I, I forgot about we all in the same gang. Yeah, you know that was their version. Yeah, that was their version. Yep. yep, we're all in the same gang. <laughs> Michelet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God, Michelet. Michelet. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, you did Rush. Then you went to EMI. EMI was EMI was something because they had just signed Jazz. Okay. So, you know, even in the early days, they had, like, the Hawaiian Sophie. Yep. Which was the first one featuring Jay-Z. Jay-Z. I, like, I, so fun. I remember that. He was, on, he was, like, doing the hula and shit on it. So, so one of my first things at EMI was, like, to be, like, the person. I was the kid at that time that had to go speak to the people. They made everyone wait in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and I'd have to make Jay Z and and Jazza would be sitting in the in the waiting room yo, for an hour. Yo, chill, B. And yo, the funny thing is, is the dudes inside they wasn't busy. Of they just not. made people wait. Make motherfuckers <laughs> wait. <laughs> it's like going to the doctor. I couldn't understand <laughs> it. I'd be like, yo, why y'all got them waiting? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so there was a there was a lot of weird stuff at EMI. That was probably the the biggest artist that you know. Obviously, Jay, it ended up being Jay Z. Yeah, this cat that they used to make wait in a in a lobby. He paid his dues. Yeah, yeah. Um, shit, you said something when we were in the pregame. Asked you what advice we give you your younger self, and you said be patient. And I think that is people don't understand how long 
it can take. Like they say, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Like people yeah, don't understand right. how long. Right. Like, because when JJ comes, I like, I was first time I really saw him, I was like, yo, he was in Hawaiian Sophie, man, he stayed in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but people also don't realize, like, a Beyonce was on Star Search when she was three, right? So when you see someone who's 15 or 13 and they start, Britney Spears, same. They've been fucking, they've been in it for like 10, 12 years already by the time they're like 15, yeah. 16. Yeah. You got to understand also, though. So back then in Brooklyn, jazz was humongous. Right. He was a he, big, he was the guy. Bigger than Kane and all of them. Right. Like, in, if you lived in Brooklyn, you knew jazz. Wow. Yeah. So, like, Jay Z getting on his record was a blessing for him. He right. was like, yo, I'm, I'm fucking with jazz, though, you know? Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, but, so from that side, like, how does it end up being, like, like, is the machine, like, how does someone, because I think about this all the time, like, I think about, like, yo, like, unless you, a real hip-hop head, Rakim don't get the fucking respect he deserves. Yeah, I mean, I think he does lyrically, I just don't think, I think certain icons, lyrical icons, I think there's so many business aspects to it now that there if you, you don't pursue the business end of it, if you don't take your clout as an MC to make money as a businessman, you don't get the level of respect that mm. some others do. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't know. I don't want to keep using Jay as an example, but I mean, look what he does business wise. Well, I mean, that's you know, what people so say. You, you parlay your success into other ventures, right? right? Right. I forgot. Oh, I was listening, or even I mean, that's what people do. Like I was. That's what. I, one of my guests was a writer on Cheers, and he has this little podcast. He's uh, Rob Long. Shout out to Rob Long and uh, called The Money Shot. And it's all about the, the entertainment business from the perspective of a writer. But he said, one of them, I didn't listen to it, but it was like, like you look at George Clooney. George Clooney makes more off of that Nespresso machine and his tequila right. than he did from right. the hospital show he's on. Sure. Right? And sure. you're right. It is leveraging your success yes. into entrepreneurial yeah. and, and businesses. Yeah, and we'll get to that with you. But, like, you're right. I mean, I think one thing's people, like, so I forgot who said it. it was, like, some bunch of hip-hop guys. Like, like, they're like, yo, Jay, you know, you get in the room with the people with the money, and then you have a plan, and you, you tap yeah. into it, right? It's not just like, oh, whatever. Um, not just that, but you need to, as you grow, you start meeting people doing bigger and bigger things. And if you make correct choices... You get to grow with those people. Right, right. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like when you get in a room with someone that's doing really well, do you learn from what they're doing? Or do you just say, go home and say, oh, snap, I met whatever. Right. You know, and I think Jay and other successful people, they pick their brains. Like, how do I do this? Right. You know, how do I? And I think that's how people grow. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people just never inquire or, or are hungry enough to figure out how to elevate what they're doing to the next level. I mean, to your point, it's turning, but like Jay famously said, as far as one interview, people like, Oh, you, you changed. He's like, yeah, I, I, I changed. I couldn't have all this. Right. I couldn't get, get where I am. Right. If I didn't change, right. you know? Um, yeah. So you, so, but you're in it, man. So you, you telling Jay Z, you got to wait. <laughs> um, not, not rudely, but yeah. yeah you're like, yo, you, yo, you like, you, you like to piece me. You're like, yo, you know, they, they, you know, um, and so, what was your so you said you were with him like six or seven years as his assistant? Correct. Okay. Correct. So what was your next move? So like I said, uh, then I went to a few other labels. I don't even remember all of them at this point, man. We're talking thirty years ago. Um, 
But then I got my first gig working for Rap-A-Lot Records, and this was me on my own. Yeah. I got I got hired. I'm the publicist now. Like, I'm the East Coast publicist. My first group is this group called OG Style. And my first project I worked on was a, a, a song called Everclear by Bushwick Bill. Mm. And this is right when his wife had shot his eye. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my first things that I ever worked on for Rap-A-Lot Records for uh, Cliff and Teresa Blodgett. That's who hired me. And... Um, from there, I was still just a kid, man. Like, I didn't want to be a publicist. I wanted, at this time, I'm rapping already. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, man, I'm smoking trees, all that. Yeah. Like, yo, I'm getting a lot of sneaker money right now. I'm still living <laughs> in my parents' house. Right. You know, I've got a nice annual salary from a big company. Yep. So I got weed money. I got sneaker money. That's all. So now I'm just on their dime, just chilling in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, chilling. And eventually, they're like, this ain't, this ain't working. This, this kid is not working. <laughs> this ain't it? <laughs> no, he's not working. He's, he's, he's pursuing his dreams. And I just realized, I think it was just an amical break where we were just like, you know, go my own way. And literally, I just uh, went out and I got my first studio. I bought my first studio. with uh, Put it in my dad's basement. And um, that was the beginning of, of Will Tell as the producer. So... No, no lessons, nothing. I just got it. My my homeboy Brooke, DJ Brooklyn Peace Brook, took us to Sam Ash. He said, "This is what you got to get. You got to get an Akai nine fifty sampler. You need a Roland MC fifty sequencer. You need a keyboard, a MIDI keyboard to trigger the sounds." And I remember him telling me this because my options were to get the three units separately or to get the MPC sixty at that time, which was like an all in one beat unit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you got to get all of them separately because if one piece breaks, you can still make beats. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going that way. And he literally, he made me learn the real way. There was no easy way. I had to learn the hard way. And I'll always be grateful to him for that, DJ Brooklyn. Yeah. That's, I, and like, I think, like, that's, I'm, I'm looking at the right address. It's not remarkable, but it is, it is remarkable that, like, like, you went and bought the fucking equipment to do have a studio. Like it's not like yeah. Like now, like you could you could produce on your phone at this. There's apps for everything. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. My whole studio right now is a a, a MacBook Air. Yeah, right. The whole studio, right, right. to a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> I could fit my whole studio in a book bag. Yeah, yeah. It's um, wild. But 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 I think there is a and I, and you know this. There is. You said it. You learned the right way. There's, there's, there is. I always think of the, this line. I'm a pop culture guy, so like the first Jurassic Park. Love me some um, Jeff Goldblum, and he's Ian Malcolm, and he said, mm-hmm. he said, he said, you didn't earn it. Like a, a lot of people, they they don't understand. Like, like you knew how to make music, so it make so it's easier. It's not just like I'm gonna make music and I can get this program. Is there's a whole different there's a, there's a different level of respect. For the game and understanding, I think um, maybe maybe I'm just old. Am I old, y'all? I don't know, but like we had to do no. shit. Yeah, like, but it, it was also a different level of hip hop where you had to pay dues. It, there you go. You were not accepted in the community in in this era of hip hop. Now you remember this is an era of hip hop where like PM Dawn was coming out, and it was like this this wave of like hip hop type yeah. stuff. Yeah. 
So to the real New York hip-hop heads, remember KRS-One threw PM Doom off a of stage. I know. I forget. <laughs> yep, yep. This is how serious it was. Like, you had to pay your dues. If you went to a show as an artist and no one knew that you paid your dues, you'd get booed off the stage. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, you could just... You just put out something on YouTube yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. SoundCloud, it blow up. And next thing you got. You don't need here. any co-signing from anyone in the streets or, or anything. Which is, which is one of those, it's, I, I'm torn on that a little bit because, like, um, there was, there is something to be said about a certain amount of gatekeeping. There's something to be said, right? Like, it, it's like, there's something to be said for it. That's what I'm not saying. But there's something to say because it was, there was, like you said, pay your dues. Like, if, if it wasn't as easy like like we talked about with Jay, like you talk about people, it's different. I did this, I push a button, it goes out to the world. Right. Versus versus carrying crates of records for people, going here, slogging across. Yeah, I like that aspect of it, but I mean, as an artist, there is two sides of it as well. Like Absolutely. You're saying. Like there was a level of hating going on as well. Like now the people who were empowered to get your music back there when you had to pay dues, if they wasn't feeling your shit, no one was hearing it. Well, and that's and there's that too. Yep. Now you could go and say, I believe in right. myself right. and I'm gonna put my and, music out and maybe someone else will be like, Yo, that's dope. And that is the dope part about it, right? Yeah, right, you right. Know? So there are there are pros and cons. I mean, look look at the fucking weekend, right? He put his shit out there and just blew up, you know. Yeah, um that's, that's the But I, I mean good and bad. I think I'm, now I'm, I think about Prince. I think about a Prince though, right? Because he famously like he was first album he's sixteen. They didn't want to let him produce. Like like we talk like just people who built differently. He walked away from that first deal. He's yeah. like, no, I don't need I don't need him messing with my music. I'm gonna go argue with Rick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Word. Uh, um, and so you set up the studio, and I, I read like you would like. So we trying to do this for a minute, like. And something I read about you was like, and never had a record deal like you. So you work with you work with I. I mean, to live, tribe, yeah. brand Nubian. Like, yeah. this is a great question. How do you become a hip hop producer, Will? Besides, we know you bought the music. That yeah, you, we bought the equipment. To, yeah, to, but like, I mean, even my first equipment that we bought. Um, it's entry level stuff. I mean, the way we did vocals was on a four track. Mm -hmm. Even like uh, all right, great example, Lyricist Lounge Volume One. Okay, which I also produced. Uh, you know, the first title of Quali record and all this other stuff called Outside the Lounge. But my personal group at the time was a group called Word of Mouth. Okay, and we did a song called Famous Last Words, which uh, Rolling Stone magazine went on to call the highlight of the album. Mm. We recorded it on a four track in my house. Mm -hmm. And they called us the Lo-Fi All-Stars. <laughs> Literally, a machine this big, a little yep. Tascam four-track yep. recorder, because we were so hungry at that time that we were going to get the most out of any machine that I got my hands on. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what we had to do without a record deal or whatever. We were going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, And this is the history of my career, because I'm so multifaceted. I'm a, I'm a graphic artist. I'm a clothes designer. I'm a... Because I'm never waiting for anyone to do it for me. Mm -hmm. Whatever I've ever needed to do, I figured out a way to go do it. Mm. And that's how that started with, with the production. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we presented Danny and um, Anthony from Lyricist Lounge with the song. And they were like, all right, well, it's kind of like dirty, whatever. This is how real that was. In my parents' house, they had a door frame. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
like to a like I don't know an empty room or something like that. But my brother used to have a punching bag, so it had the eye hook yep. on the top. I took a hanger, a metal hanger, twisted it through the eye hook. It came down. I formed a little like holder at the bottom out of the wire. Put a stage mic in it, an SM58 Shore stage mic, and that's it. And, and oh, I rebent the metal too and put a pantyhose around it. That was our popper stopper. <laughs> and that was how we dropped vocals. Yeah, with a with a, a stage mic hanging on a hanger in the middle of a door frame. The vocals that can, to this day are on that album are from that. <laughs> man, I love that man. Yeah, legendary microphone there, by the way, SM58. Legendary. Oh, oh. Best stage mic ever. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but that's that's what I'm saying. Like, like shit, man. You like, like, like almost like a MacGyver. This shit, right? Like, I'm. You got to. You know. You got to make it, make that shit work. It's either you do it yourself or you wait around forever. Yeah, and and so, man. Um, your parents are letting you do this in the house, which is kind of very cool of them. Uh, yeah. Well, I was a troubled kid, you know, like. I guess so being adopted, I had a lot of anger issues and, and stuff like that. So getting into shit in the street and like that, like seeing me do something positive musically, like yeah. they always try to get me like piano lessons when I was a kid and get me into like um, different forms of arts and stuff like that. They are always encouraging me mm -hmm. in, in different forms of arts to do things. So to see me actually doing something positive, they would always support that. Got it. Yeah. 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 And so who else came through in them early days um, for production with you? Man, well, at that time, it was just basically my group. So it was my original group, the Zooty Zoo. Mm -hmm. And then we had Word of Mouth, mm -hmm. who was um, two other members. And then we basically built, we added one more member. So we were like, I guess, the best, best rappers in our neighborhood. And then there was this other kid named Pumpkinhead who was from our neighborhood who we felt like we just needed to do something with him. So I started doing a lot of solo projects with him. And then I believe one of my other partners in my group was like, yo, he needs to be in a group. And we turned it from word of mouth and we formed this new group called the Brooklyn Academy. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, and that, that's how we really got, I mean, besides word of mouth, that was our really claim to fame was all the stuff that we did with the Brooklyn Academy mm -hmm. that got our big underground. We toured the world as Brooklyn Academy. What's that? What was that like? First time you went on on tour, man? Man, the first time we went on tour, we went to, uh, we landed in a place in, in Europe called Rotterdam. Yep. Right next to Amsterdam. Yep. And we, our, our first show was in Amsterdam. But we, for cheaper reasons, they had us in like a, in a hostel in Rotterdam. And I just remember getting off, getting off the, uh, all, all out of the train and just seeing bikes. Bikes. <laughs> Every, I've never seen it. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I don't know why there's a parking lot full of bikes. Yeah. And it was just like my first instance of touring in Europe. And uh, it was wild. And then we went to Amsterdam and I bugged out more. They ordered a hamburger. They put an egg on it. I was like, yo, what the fuck is this, man? Why is there an egg on my hamburger? Now you probably like that shit. But back No, like, I, exactly. But, I but do like it now. I'll put an egg on anything now. <laughs> I'll put caviar on an exactly. egg. <laughs> but, yo, yeah, back then it was true. I was like, what the heck's going on? And uh, the red light district. Is, oh, yeah. It felt I mean, like that was like a zoo. Dude. Yeah. I remember thinking that's, this is a zoo. Yeah. For people. Yeah. A zoo for yeah. people. Wow. Yeah that, yeah. that was my first instinct yeah. of the red light district. And I was like, yo, it's kind of bugged out. But, you know, getting out of getting out of America was good. And I felt worldly. Yeah. And we had fun. So that was that was good. Yeah. I like touring. 
That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. You know what? Um, let's take a quick break. Um, uh, and then we'll come back with more stories from Will Tell. We're going to get into some wine for sure. Cause yes, sir. I'm drinking this Prosecco. It's good. So uh, we'll be right back, everybody. All right. Peace. Okay. It's obvious that I love Grenache. But I think by now you guys also know that I just love wine. And that's why on Saturday, November 4th, we are hosting a not just Grenache tasting in association with Grenache Fest. Once again, it'll be held at the Motor Co. in downtown Walla Walla. And tickets are just $35 per person. And we will be featuring wines from some of the top producers in the Walla Walla region. Go to GrenacheFest.com to purchase your tickets today. Okay, we're back. So, man, I I love the red light. You said it was like a zoo for people, right? And just like, and then it must have bugged out, right? Because like, you should just like go buy weed everywhere. It's like legal. Yeah, yeah. Go and to Bulldog shit, Cafe, yeah, wherever. And shit was like not. Space cakes. Not like it was back here. Like, no. It's knocking on. The funny thing is we stayed with this kid. Got his name offhand, but he was like the Eminem of Amsterdam. Okay, brain power. That's him. Peace, brain. Kate went to his apartment. He had all his MTV trophies everywhere, and we we're like, "Yo, where can we get the weed?" Blah 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 blah. I don't. And it was my first reflection that legalizing weed stops people from wanting it so much. Because in America and everywhere else, it's like t- telling a kid you can't have this cake. Right. You, you want it more, right? right. And that's that's the philosophy in Amsterdam. The people who lived there didn't really smoke it. Even if they smoked it, they mixed it with tobacco. Uh, heroin is legal in Amsterdam. Yeah, and they don't have people over D- no. D- because yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it, it's that was an eye opener for yeah. me. Like you know, that's a smart thing to do because when it's legal, you don't want it as much as right. You know, yeah, no, I, it, it's human nature. You, you can't have it's it. It's human nature, right. right? Like the forbidden fruit, yeah. you want it exactly. Um, but I, I, oh, I had another guest. Shout out to Jasmine Hirsch, who she was, uh, one of her jobs was she worked for a, a record company in, or she was a publisher or something in Europe. And she said, like, the, um, she's younger than us, but like, cats would come over yeah. to Amsterdam and the weed was too strong for them. Like, they think they could. No, they, they mix they, it with the tobacco. They, they, well, they mix yeah. it with tobacco, but, you know, bro, you know, brothers come in, like, think they go roll a, a blunt or something, like, and, and like, just knocked on their ass, so I yeah. think it's very funny. But yeah, that's very European. They, mm-hmm. That's what a spliff is. A spliff is yeah. actually tobacco. Yeah, that's with, what they do. With, yeah, that's what they do. Um, so all this time, like, how did you get into wine? Was there was there wine on your table growing up? Did you see your parents drinking wine? Um, not like at dinner every night. Okay, but so social occasions, you know. I grew up in an Italian household, so every Sunday we have yeah. traditional Sunday dinner, and there's wine. You have a uh, gravy. No gravy. No gravy. Sauce. 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 Okay. <laughs> that's, that's it's a, a big thing. It's a, yeah. Gravy or sauce. Yeah, sauce. sauce. Yeah. Sauce. <laughs> yeah. Um, sauce household. Um, so there was some there was some wine with dinner. Not even crazy amounts though. Um more on like like Thanksgiving or Christmas, like big family gatherings. People okay. would break out they'd break out the Chivas Regal. Yep. And and the wine. Um but my real first thing was wine was Working with Sadat X. Okay, so so, like you you just I like, was not a big wine guy. No, okay, no at all. Um, and we were traditionally drinking Hennessy. Yeah, in our sessions. Yeah. 
So the productivity, I remember at some point, we were working on our first album that we did together. We had an entire album called Generation X. And during our sessions, we were getting pretty twisted. Like by the third verse, vocals were being slurred, <laughs> stuff like that. And I wanted to finish songs per day. Yeah. So I remember one day I went to a bo- I went to the store and I got a bottle of wine, and I brought it to the studio. I was like, "Yo, today let's drink some wine instead of <laughs> Hennessy," you know, like. Yeah. Um, and I remember I think it was called El Gato Negro. Oh the, yeah, the, the black cat. The black cat. And um, you know, some inexpensive wine, and I was like, "Yo, Sadat, mess around and do a commercial with the wine," and that was it. That was the that was the inception hmm. thirty second video. I put it up the next day on YouTube or whatever. Yo, Sonatix is reviewing wine. <laughs> I was like, yo, bro, I think we onto something. So every session I would go and get another funny name wine or a label that I thought was cool or something like that. And I'd be like, yo, talk about it. And I started filming it every every recording session. We didn't do this on purpose. It was during our recording sessions mm-hmm. and we just did it for fun. Yeah. And being that neither one of us knew anything about wine, we called it True wine connoisseurs. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like calling a skinny kid fatty right, or whatever. Right, right, like, right. we're the true wine connoisseurs. Yeah. Um, and our whole goal was just, you know, he started making up these catchphrases like, send a case to this place. <laughs> and our goal was just to start getting free wine. Right. Like, we just wanted free wine. That was it. Yeah. Um, and then he made his own, like, you know, instead of suckling one to ten rating system, he, he had the uh, um, one to a hundred. He had uh, the fucked up factor. <laughs> One to ten, the F U F. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have the the fucked up factor. One to ten. Yo, we 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 need some more fucked up factor. We do. So, my man, he couldn't be here because he's down in North Kakalaka and and he yeah, worked yeah, all the time. absolutely. But I I love following him on Insta because he he's so real with it still, man. He just yeah. people say what the fuck he wants to say. Yeah, he, you know. Yeah. I, he's, um, the fucked up fact. Listen, he's the wild cowboy. Yes. Yep. So, wild cowboy with a lot of style, boy. Yeah. <laughs> DX from BX. Yeah. Yeah. You ain't telling him anything. <laughs> I found out about you guys. So, so first he's just doing these commercials, right? So, when you put them up on YouTube, it's part of the session, right? Yep. So, my boy, shout out Cliff Coin, Acker Wines. Oh, that's my boy. Yes. Yeah. No, Cliff's my boy. I yeah, yeah. I lived with Cliff. Yeah. Okay. In New York and California. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he was. He's like he 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 calls me Mirv. He's like, hey Mirv, you know, uh, <laughs> you're brand new. And you know, he just, he's like, I was like, yeah. No, he's he's like, yeah, yeah. Well, they. He's like, you gotta check it out. Um, um, they came into Acker. That's right. And filmed this show, and I think he brought he poured like the Liquid Farm fucking Chardonnay. That's right. And so that's and and um. And yeah. and I was like, oh shit! And he's like, yeah, they got their own wine. Yep. Um, so and we paired it with hot dogs from the corner. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> right, right. So like, what year is this? Like, because we missed. Wait, like, that was our final episode. Wow. That was we had already shot seventy five episodes. Damn. He was our final episode. Yeah. Yeah. I met him through my buddy Damani Higgins. All right, we, we talk about Damani offline. I know Damani very well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. he used to be Damani was my roommate. Shut up, man. I swear to God. Wow. And, you know, Damani Higgins, his father's Chester Higgins from the New York Times. Yep. Someone's New York history there, but dear friend of mine. And um, we grew up together. We were roommates for four. Literally had a a, a duplex apartment. He had the top floor. I had the bottom floor for four years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I saw Damani, John John Capon's 50th birthday party. I hadn't seen Damani because I went out west and moved. Uh, yeah, but I was like, shit, man. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, That's how I met Clifton. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, uh, you know. That was seventy. So you guys had done seventy five episodes. Seventy five episodes. And what? That was like what? When was that? What was that? Was now that? you have to understand that no one had ever done what we did before. That's what I'm saying. Like, so, so mixing the wine and hip hop episodes was so controversial, right? Yo, people were reporting our page. Like, if you see our page now, I got like maybe like five thousand views, right. ten thousand. They made me take my page down. We had millions of views. Yeah. This is me reloading the videos now that my on a new page. Wow. They didn't want to see a Puerto Rican dude and a black dude reviewing wine. Yeah. At all. I mean, that's not even going into the, the diversity and things that we went through when we had our own brand. Right. Right. Yeah. 75 episodes of not giving an F. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and then how did Letty, you mentioned but like, so Letty... How did Letty? Letty saw the show. <laughs> Letty saw the show. She was like, "Yo," she reached out and she was like, "I think it's amazing that you guys are like bringing this lighter side to wine drinking." Yep. You know, because our rule was it had to be under twenty dollars a bottle. Yep. We were making a wine show for common folk. Yep. You know what I mean? It yep. wasn't to be pretentious. Yep. Um, we were kind of like the, as we used to call it, the anti-wine people, mm-hmm. the anti-wine wine show, mm-hmm. because so I only drank out of the bottle. I love that. Like to the head. It, straight to the head. Every, that was a rule. You can, no glasses. No glasses. <laughs> you don't spit? Nah, we're not spitting, son. What are you talking about, bro? Yeah. Um, that was our thing. You know, like we didn't know anything. Um, it's like going out to play golf for the first time and not knowing any of the etiquette. Fuck golf. The rules. You understand what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? No, but yeah. it's like a thing. Yeah, like, I know it is. It's a huge but thing. But that's how it was in the wine world. So we were for like sure. frowned upon. Like he would... Uh, he would in the episodes. You go nice bouquet, <laughs> and you see like or I'm no, like it's bouquet. You you see people on like wine berserkers and these platforms. Oh, I know. And, and they would like make totally making fun of them. B o k a y, nice bouquet. Yeah, like yeah. no, I'm, I'm. We were made fun of. I got shit on one episode. I yeah. had um, it's a recent episode. And I don't drink. I love all wines and. Yeah. I, I've worked at Akron. I've had some of the great wines in the world, but it's not that hectic to me. And so, like, um, my guest brought in like a like a I don't know, I can't even remember, but like I remember going to notes on you uh, the comment YouTube was like calls, and then you you just know it's like he's a wine guy. He don't even know this guy. I'm like motherfucker. First of all, yeah, I've sat down with masters of wine. And first of all, you can't know everything about fucking wine. Ever. So so why you so why are you trying to come at me, son? Yeah, right. It's not nice. It's man. not nice. But you know, <laughs> but but like I can only imagine. Back then, yeah, right, because, 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 and spe- you, I mean, like you just, like you said, listen. Fuck here, here's a cool thing: when we first started doing it, and we very first came out with our wine, I think it was 2010. We had our first one. Yeah. Excuse me, and we started doing events like in stores, you know, for people to come and yep. taste and stuff like that. And fans would come out, and our our people. They didn't want wine. Right. They're like, you got sweet wine? Right, right, right. So I was like, yo, we got to take it into our hands to educate a little more to get our people away from drink, just drinking sweet wine. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that was a major thing. I'm sure. And I had to like preach about diabetes in our community and stuff like this and right. getting away from sugar. Um, 
and now I see like there's like all these hip hop wine events. Yep. I'm like, this is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I take a lot of pride in it because we we took it on our chin for everyone else to be able to be in that position. That's what now. they say. Like the first yeah. people through the door, like you know, you always know who the pioneer is, yeah. like because they got gunshot wounds or arrows yeah, in them. Because exactly. you, the first through the door, you're gonna first yeah. through through the door is gonna get punched in the fucking face. That's just what it is, right? But like, that's why I really want to have it because like, yeah. like there's this moment right now, and I'm like, like, I just because of my age, like. I'm that bridge between like like oh I knew all the fucking samples right like I know like oh that's a sample of the Ozzy Bros. There's kids now who who sample music and and they don't even they don't even they won't even be like oh they sampled Big Papa from Biggie not they they don't even know that it's so far removed right, they're right, so right, far right. removed from right. the origins right you know yeah um and they I could just see, I could just see people at this is why I'm struggling with sponsorship, but I can see people at major publications like reporting you because they didn't want you to get so, that traction. So our first thing was our first big write up was from this historic New York publication called The Village Voice. Love the Village Voice. That's how I used to go find all my shows. You now, find all now your mind dope you, shit. This was traditionally a left. Yeah, left leaning. Yeah, yeah, this was a left thing. Yep. They made fun of us. Yep, bro. I will punch it up, and maybe you could flash it in the episode or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, it was an it was a full front page of the Village Voice. Can Sadat X make hip hop wine? You need to send that to me, and I'll I'll do a graphic. Well, I'll clip this clip in, and, and like yeah. That, because, and you have to see their depiction of Sadat X I, on the cover. I, I I would love to see that because just recently, well, you know, Sinead O'Connor died, and. Yeah. They, it was a great documentary on Showtime about her. You should check out. But, like, I'm thinking about, like you said, you think things are left-leaning? Like, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, was, right. Saturday Night Live, cutting edge, blah, blah, blah. Like, they did her so dirty. They did skits yeah. like Joe Pizzolatore. I'll slap her in the face, Joe. Right. Like, like, so it's a, interesting when you when you are really contrarian. Right. How you get treated. Right. And when you're the first to do something, it's very people don't yeah. understand that I think necessarily. They had Sadat on the cover. Now, mind you, this is a this is a member of the Brand Nubian Brothers that mm. are super positive. Yep, and aren't into all this stuff. Depicted with his pants hanging down, his underwear out. He had a girl on hands and knees on a dog collar. Her dog bowl on the floor said "bitch," with a bottle of wine on her butt. And that's the voice that did that. The voice. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So that's where we were at uh, yeah. in terms of publications giving us the. So Letty giving us this great review was just, we were like, holy snap. Let's, let's meet at Morel Wine Bar and, yeah. <laughs> and do this full shoot for one of the most prestigious you know publications in the world, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And that was fantastic. That's what, that's what changed it for us. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, celebrity wine, right? So. Seriously, this shit is. If if it wasn't good, I wouldn't be saying anything about it. I would never, you know. What I'm saying? Yeah, right, I would, I would right. just drink it, drink it, like you know. Right. I'm very impressed. Yeah. So, black and Latino owned, and you know, there's there's a big thing now. I've had great guests. Channing Frye does a really good wine. Yep. Um, but then there's people like who just. It's a wine moment. 
Yeah. They buy some bulk juice. Yeah. No discernment. Yeah. Slap a label on it. Yeah. How do you feel as someone who like I get, I get it started out as a joke, but like Andre Mack reached out to you when you said you think you should do a wine. Right. So Andre put us in touch with these folks at this wine club out of California called Club W. Okay. They were one of these wine delivery mm-hmm. people. And at that point, to be honest, we were just going to slap our name on it because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about wine to say whether it was good. I'll taste it and say whether I yeah, like it or not. Right. You know, I'm not. And it was just a super kick just to say, yo, I got my own wine. Right. Right. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I ain't going to lie. That's, that's, we were like, yo, we got our own wine. <laughs> um, but then I started doing it professionally. You know, I took a gig as a full-time consultant at Winebow. The the president of Winebow was like, he knew that I was doing all the sales training for Apple at that time. I'm, that's That was my nine-to-five gig. Like, he was like, look, I know how you are with sales. He's like, I don't need knowledgeable wine people. I need good salesmen. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll put you in school every Friday, and I'll I'll do the right thing by you. Gave me a really nice salary. I worked at Winebow for six years, man. Going to school every Friday. And this stupid little joke was no longer a joke. Mm. Now I'm a knowledgeable wine dude. Mm-hmm. Now what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the um, Vice magazine, the the network. Yep. We did a, early, early before I even started working for Wine Boat. They invited us down to do a special. It was called Celebrity Whining. Okay. And they brought up Drew Barrymore, all these people, and we, but they were trying to mess with us. They're right. Like, What's a tannin? Like trying to stump us yeah, to make right. us look stupid. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. whatever. Point is. Now what? Right. Now I know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, now I'm 12 years professionally into this. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what I do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a long journey from this little joke to now owning a wine company. I have other business ventures in the wine and spirits industry that I'm about to develop. And this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were doing sales training for Apple? That's what I did. Yeah. How'd you get that? Guy? At that time... There was no Apple stores, yep. so there was a store on 23rd Street called TechServe. Okay. And that was New York's first Apple store, mm-hmm. so they all had to go through Will Tell training. Mm-hmm. All the salesmen, yeah. I mean, so let's talk a about- A lot that. of different things. Like yeah, I told you, I know, yeah, I've I done mean, so many different things I, 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 yeah, that so, all are incorporated into me now. I love that. Yeah. So, like, where- I had a guest. I just love- like entrepreneurs and that, like, the, did, like, wh- how did you decide to start Will Tell Sales Training? Well, Will Tell Sales Training didn't start off like that. It started off with Will Tell having ideas for the management that worked really well. Got it. So then I would be like, you know, my sales numbers would be crazy. And then they're like, can you teach him? Can nah. you teach him? Mm-hmm. Can you teach him? Mm-hmm. And that's what it became. So then everyone that got hired, they'd sit with me and I'd teach him little bits and you know, back then our our theory was square dealings. We we're not slimy salesmen. Yeah. We offer you a really good product. We ask you what you need. We get you what you need, and that's what it was. And in the process, we both are happy. I mean, that's great sales. Is I mean, this instinctual for you, or is this? Is yeah, this, or- you can't teach it. I mean, you could teach some techniques, but I don't know. Just something I'm born with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so talk about your drive because you know i think myself included back when i was younger you think someone 
you see someone on TV, you think they're a millionaire. They paid. They, right. You hear someone's record on radio. Right. The drive to to hustle to do things you don't want to do to do things you got to do. Like, where did that come from? Like, so so you're like, right, I'm a, you know I'm, I'm a producer. I work with I work with Dela. I try. You know, I work with all these people. Right. But you know what? I got to pay the fucking bill. So I, I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell this. Always, thing. I tell everybody like. They're like, oh, can you talk to my son? He's into hip-hop. Don't ever quit your day job. It's so important you have a solid income. You know, the old theory, starving artists, right? Fuck that. You can't make good music when you're starving yep. because you're so desperate. Anything a label's going to offer you, you're going to jump at. When you have an option, like like a lot of people, when they don't need to take upfront money mm -hmm. for advances, mm -hmm. Then you could become 50-50 partners with the label. You're not you're not on this little thing. You're not nitpicking. You tell them, I made this dope album. This is what I want. This is what you want. We have a deal. You know, let's be 50-50 partners instead of getting a penny on an album. You know, like, you're yeah, okay, kid. We're going to give you 10000 and uh, you'll see nothing ever again. Right. Yeah. And, oh, well, you didn't recoup the 10000 Plus, we did this for the video. Yeah, so. people don't realize a record deal is basically just a big credit card with higher interest rates. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, and there's a movie I can't think of the name right now, but it's about it's about the blues and like Howlin' Wolf was on label and I forgot who else on it, but like he came in, and he's like, nah, I don't want you ain't got to pay my rent. I don't need a new car. Nope. I don't need no cat. Oh, Cadillac Records. Yeah, I don't need a Cadillac. Nope. Don't. Nope. Just, I, don't just, just, I don't need anything. Just pay me half. I haven't asked for an advance. Exactly. In yeah. Fifteen years. Yeah. Um. Um. But I love that. Like you said, like, don't quit your day job. Like, you know. It's you great to have a dream. Yes. Right? But when all your eggs are in one basket, people could sense your desperateness. They can smell that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, the music reflects it a lot, too. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, that's that was the whole thing, right? People, like, that was a big thing. I was like, uh the sellout thing or like going going pop right because like pop goes weasel because weasel goes pop like right? because right. you were so freaking desperate you got a deal they 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 deal you owe money well we we're bringing in this pop producer and we're gonna throw this on there that's right and next thing you know five heartbeats there you go <laughs> nights like this <laughs> I wish raindrops would fall uh, and. So there's the drive, but then there's the love, the love. And I guess this goes back to, like, you saw these cats. It goes back it. to high school redirection. Yeah. That love never wavered. I mean, I have resentment for the hip-hop industry. Okay. I really do, man. I don't do it anymore. Yeah. I just make my success comes from so many other business ventures. Right. I don't need it. Right. And for the headaches that you go through, it's not worth it. You know, you put out a really good quality album. I'm not going to say which ones I've gone through this recently with, but, you know, you put out a real, you put a year of your life into it. Mm -hmm. And then you put out this really good quality hip hop album, um, which is mainly aimed at our generation. You yeah. Know, the young kids don't listen to, no. uh, very few listen to boom bap stuff. Right. Um, and then the next next day it's on YouTube for free. Yeah. And the other problem is, you know, they're going through it with Hollywood now. Yep. And with the Actors Guild strikes and all this stuff is the AI and the streaming. Yeah. There's no way to calculate your money for streaming. Right. 
Right. It's a massive problem in music right no, now. It, well, it's just an entertainment, man. As yeah. someone who has a pot, like like downloads versus streams, like pot, like it it literally is. It it is very tricky. I was like I said, I was listening to this this thing, the Money Shot, talking about like, and I have friends who are writers in Hollywood, and have written for successful shows. But like, you talk about you thinking when you talk about people owning your publishing and making money through perpetuity. If you are a fucking extra, they want to scan your face and use your face as a, yeah. they want to pay you thirty five dollars for one day and then use your face in perpetuity. That's even for the actors. Yeah, for the actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's part of the whole strike is this AI yeah, that, thing. That, that's the whole. That's the heart. Right. You know. No way. Um, so I, I hear you, and I, I think that you obviously you you have done a lot of things, and that's one next like um, Puerto Rican bear. That was part of my graphic designing. Yeah. So. Thurston Howell III, Big Up Thirst, one of my best friends in the world. Um, we were living, I, well, I had an apartment in, in Park Slope on President Street that we called the Stress Fest. This mm -hmm. was my third studio. And almost all my dopest shit was made in this apartment. This apartment was off the hook crazy. We were so crazy in there, we used to barbecue indoors. <laughs> I'm not joking. We were insane. This was like the... the Rock and roll, right. you know, sex, sex drugs and rock, rock and roll. roll. It was bananas in this apartment. Anyway, long story short, Thirst was a frequent person that would come over and we make music and stuff like that. And um, so he got this deal for this record called The Polo Rican. Now, at that time, I had, man, getting a, getting a scanner and having Photoshop, if you had that back then, and just got it. I didn't know what it was, but... Play again. Once again, I'm not waiting for someone to do my shirt designs for me or whatever. So I took a Ralph Lauren teddy bear. Mm -hmm. No one had ever done this before. And now there's about a thousand people who have duplicated my thing. Ralph Lauren teddy bear. And then I took pictures of Thurston from his old school low life photos with the bandanas, yep. the guns in the hands. <clears throat> and I photoshopped it onto the teddy bear and I created it into a thug bear. That's what I called it. The thug bear. And um, Game Records took it, and for the promo sticker for his first single, The Polo Rican, they made it the whole promo sticker, and it went down forever. And then I made like six or seven other bears, and I made a, a whole line of T-shirts, mm -hmm. and that just blew up from there. Next thing you know, this dude's making a bear. This dude's making another bear. This dude's making a bear with an NPC under his arm. This dude's making a bear. They Everyone just stole my shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yo, Thirst was like, yo, people owe you royalties everywhere. <laughs> to this day, they're still doing it. Man, yeah, so inside of like, so when hip-hop used to get spoke on all the time, right? Uh, biters, just biting people's shit. It's culture now. <laughs> it's culture now. Not just that, but inside the biter culture now, there's something going on that we're calling revisionist history. Mm. So the biter now, because they might have a larger platform than the originator, they go back and change the history as though they created it. I just went through, I'm going, I just went through this last week on a post. I'm not on joking. Instagram. No, and, and I yeah. literally, it's revisionist they, history. I literally, and someone, it was one of my listeners and followers like DM me. They're like, didn't you start this? Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yes. Um, and 
we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later because that's how I, I it's part of my show. Um, but literally, I literally I was like these dirty motherfuckers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you listen to my show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you're gonna create a post around something that I was I didn't invent the game, right? But I was the first to do it in wine, yeah. And like and yeah. and and you see people. Most people just like playing along, yeah. don't know where it fucking came from. Yeah. And and this one dude was like, "Yo," and a couple of people were like, "Black wine guy, black wine guy." Mm. But you're right that like it it is yeah. it, it is it is part of the like is part of the culture now where if you it like if you have a bigger platform, well fuck it, fuck fuck them. Yeah, a dear friend of mine, he's a rapper named Freddie Fox. <laughs> I know, I know Freddie yeah, Fox. Bumpy Knuckles. He told me the wisest words once. I forgot. I think just when we started the um, the True Wine Connoisseur show, and he was like, yo, this joke is funny. He's like, yo, but all great things happen like that. And we noticed that people were starting to you know, steal our ideas and, yep. and try to put their own spinoffs mm-hmm. on what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, well, the second mouse gets the cheese. Exactly. And I was like, wow. That's fucking That's fucking hell, right? The first mouse. I was like, wow. He just neck no. snapped. And then the next one comes, comes through, in and they, they take, take your cheese shit. off the culture shit. vultures and all that. It's like, um, but the point, what he was trying to tell me was you can't get mad by it. Man. That's you, true. You got to keep doing what you do. Right. Like if people are going to be suckers about it and not really go back and take you back and say, yo, man, you a biter. Right. Then that's just where we're at now. I mean, yeah. what are you going to go crazy thinking about this stuff? Right. Right. You got to go on, create something new now. Yeah. People are going to know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so inside of the Polar Rican, you're always forward thinking. Um, I remember you did an NFT drop. We did it with, with the with the with bears. The, with the bears. With the bears. I did other ones too, but um, yeah, you know the NFT thing. I was into it for a minute, and then it just started getting real. It's got a little. I, shame, I had man. conversations got, yeah. with people within the industry, and they told me to get out of it real yeah. fast. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I and exactly. I, I'll just tell you this. Very uh, unstable. Very unstable. Um, one of the shows I watch, I love Billions <clears throat> on Showtime. Um, I think it's a good window into that world. Like people, it's one of those things where people, if you if you've hung around people who have a lot of money, like oh that is how they operate. Mm-hmm. But there was a they were talking about someone who was big in that space and like well it doesn't matter what he says, you know mm-hmm. this is what. But so yeah, um, yeah. But I just but I even that I just I just thought just the idea of what you were doing. Yeah. At the moment, yeah, showed your act, your business acumen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm always into trying to make shit green. I mean, so I'm an entrepreneur. That's what I do by nature. I mean, I, I'm a thinker. I'm a, I'm a creator. I'm an inventor. If I could do anything, if I could create something, it doesn't matter what it is, any genre, any you know, clothing, whatever. I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to my whole childhood and everything again. No one's going to tell me I can't do it because I'll do it myself. I'll buy the equipment myself. I don't rely on companies to do a business venture with me. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll want to get involved later, but I'll always do it myself. The, I, I don't. When I put my mind to something, nothing's going to stop me. That's a beautiful, S- simple and plain. Yeah. So, in addition, I know you said you worked with Winebow for like five, six years. Yeah. And then um, you, I, then you did. You were doing some with uh, ninety plus sellers. For a moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Still, still so, work with Latitude <laughs> Beverage Company now. Okay. Still do that. I worked for Monster Tune, Big Bordeaux House for years and years and years. You know, representing houses like Chateau Margaux, Chateau Brown, Chateau Montalena, even out in California. Like this is how I cut my teeth in the industry. You know, I was like 
part of learning is you need to learn the business, mm-hmm. right? You need to go out in the market. You need to go out, get involved with sommeliers at restaurants. You need to learn how wine lists are made, how wine lists are curated. And I always thought the best way to do that would just be to go in and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I taught myself. <laughs> Literally just approached people, applied for jobs, got them. And that's that's where I'm at now. I represent brands all over the place, yeah. as well as owning my own. Yeah. So inside of uh, representing brands and connecting with people, um, Margot has come up a lot, I've noticed. like I, Just I'm a big fan. That's why. <laughs> and not just that. Yeah, I mean, I drink it a bit, and I just think that it's a real – old world prestigious house so if you know like even when it goes back to like steve jobs in the days of apple when they would celebrate a new release he would always crack open a bottle of chateau margot Mm. it was his tradition for every release Mm. it just has this old old world classic value to me yeah so yeah yeah a fave i love it i love it um so I saw a post. So you were, you were. Are you winding down True Wine Connoisseurs, or were you thinking about it? And now you revived it. Where, or actually, the the, the so wine these, itself. These, these were the last. Okay. So these were the last we did. Okay. We took a massive hit in COVID. Yep. So amongst eight eight million other people, we just did not make it through COVID. Yep. Um, there's other variables that I really don't want to get into now. Um, from I'll tell you this, though. This is kind of cool for people who are thinking about starting a brand. Yeah. The biggest problem you will ever face, it's easy to go taste wines, make your brand, Mm -hmm. get your labels, Mm -hmm. because everyone's like, yo, I'm going to do my wine. I'm going to do my spirit. The biggest problem you're ever going to face is getting the sales reps at the company out of a whole book they have to take your wine out. Number one problem you will ever face as a wine company. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If the reps are not taken out, you could only do so much legwork yourself mm-hmm. before you say to myself, this is no longer advantageous for me. I can't spend every day of my life in the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where we were in 80-something stores in Brooklyn alone, mm-hmm. right, just from our personal legwork. right, right. right. And then, you know, like, all right, let me step back a bit. Then it goes to 60. Mm-hmm. Then it goes to 50. Mm-hmm. Then it goes – because the reps don't want to take out – and I'm not saying anything in personal, but they don't want to represent that. Right. You understand? Right. They don't want their restaurants to have a Puerto Rican guy and a black guy on a wine label. Right. I can't do this, they tell you. Yeah. I can't have this in my restaurant. Right. So everything the unwind wine company is not <laughs> – is no longer palatable. Right, right. So yeah, right. we we've uh, from the show to the wine itself, we faced a lot of yeah. controversy over racism. Yeah, but you did mention that like you you guys are going to revive the show. You want to revive? Or, or, or is this so? We we are. There's conversations happening. Let's okay. put it that way. Okay. Um, about bringing it all back. Um, I'm not at liberty to discuss right now, but yeah, there's. 
That's that entertainment it, shit, y'all. <laughs> no, well, nah, it's just, it's a gem for people at home. Actually, just yeah. don't talk about shit until your shit is done. That's for for real, man. Yeah, no, because 100%. you know people don't even know when they're hating on you and they'll throw the whammy on you. Well, secretly. that I mean, I've I've been learning that right. Like, yeah, you got to you got to keep your keep shit, shit under wraps yep. until it's, it's wrapped. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. Um, so we've been talking for a minute. Um, yeah, this is all good. This is what I do. I do. I do long for. Listen, I'm contrary. I do long form content. Yeah, I don't. I, I want to get to know you. I want. I want people yeah. to listen to this. And there's lots of fucking gems in here, like you yeah. said. Um, but let's talk a bit about the wines. We, we introduced them first. So you have an IGT Cabernet Sauvignon, but your your Sauv Blanc is a DOC, and so is your um, yep, yep Prosecco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We basically, at this point, didn't. We weren't just slapping our names on anything anymore. So, with every wine company that we paired with, we did full tastings, and I was like, you know, I want, I want to go to Northern Italy for all of these right now. So, I mean, um, want to just gonna dump? Yeah, right you dump, dump right here. Yeah, there you go. Like I said, this is also our last vintages. Okay. So. And I, I love Sauv Blanc from Northern Italy, man. It's so it's good. It's so good. Man. Yeah. Right? The aromatics are off the chart. Do a little rinse. Yeah, do a little rinse. rinse. All right. There you go. All right. Thanks, my man. And so what vintage is this? So this is probably two years old now. So for white wine, obviously. Actually, it's 2020. Okay. So, I think it's pretty yeah. palatable still, but Absolutely. Um, I haven't tasted it, so let's check it out. Oops. Mm. Okay, so this is actually this is a, the Pinot Grigio, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's got a little little nuttiness going on, you know. Yeah, yeah, a lot of minerality yeah. to it. Yep. Some. Lemon zest, it's just fresh. I mean, it's not as cold or chilled as normally you should serve it, but it's room temperature yep. about now. I think it's solid, though. It is solid. And uh, mm. for three years old, you know. Yeah, because most PG, you want to. You want to keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. A little colder. But still, mm -hmm. um, you can tell the complexity in that. Um, but it's a nice northern Pinot Grigio, which I was telling you that was kind of my favorite. Yeah. And, and so... You, you said so it evolved you you were like so these are wines that you like you know it's everything's it, a learning experience yeah so my theory with this pinot grigio was i wanted to do a white wine in a black bottle just because traditionally most white wines go bad faster from uv damage yep so i was like all right let's do a black bottle white wine which ended up being the biggest curse ever. <laughs> i'll never do it again but because people don't know so it's like you gotta kind of educate people and when you have to do so much with sales reps in stores to tell people why a yeah. wine is in a black bottle yep. for a white wine yep. they don't sell it yeah 100%. so i won't make that mistake again yeah. but like i said everything's been a learning experience to where i am now right but the wine's fantastic. It was super fresh when we first did it. It's yeah. still still showing well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, and we got and we got little give you a little cab sauv. Cab sauv. So what we wanted to do with this and and the white for that matter was um, 
we wanted to go with the theme of the show, which was something under 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So we never really exceeded that in our price point. So everything on the shelf was 15 bucks. Varietally correct, right off, yeah, off the nose. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 also regionally correct, right? So you get you're getting a little more earthiness, yeah. leathery that you get in Italy. Super. And this could be served chilled as well. Yeah. That's what I love about Northern Reds. A lot of that tobacco on the nose. Mm -hmm. It's actually getting better with age. Which I wouldn't expect from from that particular region of cab but that's nice Still yeah i mean wrong. that's that's a beautiful like you know it's really nice when you find out like that 15 dollar bottle of wine like oh shit i forgot about it's five years yeah. old and you take it i'm like oh wow that that that, that yeah that, that's yeah right. no i was actually uh, pleasantly surprised by that um no it's that's yeah it's nice nice that Soft could be tannins. dangerous actually yeah chilled a little bit yep <laughs> yeah you chill that one day that one yeah <laughs> You'd be like, oh, It'll shit. be two bottles down. Exactly. You'd be like, damn. <laughs> the fucked up factor will be 10. <laughs> you might go to the toilet bowl factor. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I hope you uh, enjoyed our last offerings. Yeah, no, they're beautiful. Thank you for sharing those with me, man. Yeah, man. Um, so I play this game. So I used to play this game, and I, I'm playing with it because this is where like. So I didn't create the game. I know I didn't create the game. Um, game is called Fuck, Marry, Kill. And... Good friend of mine, some guest of the show. We were at a buddy's house. He owns a shop in Jersey. Shout out to to y'all. You know who you are. And we drinking some wines. And and this first time, it was like two years ago. It was like playing this game. It's like okay, we're gonna play fuck marry kill, right? I'm like what? What's fuck marry kill? It's like well, I'm gonna give you three grapes, and you get to fuck one. You gotta marry one. You gotta kill one. Okay. This shows up somewhere on someone's IG bigger than me last week so i was like all right so i'm up staying up late right and i'm watching tv and uh i'm on cable i'm still on cable i need to cut the cable but like fortunately i was on cable because like it's like this thing called 24 7 laughs mm -hmm. and so i've watched beavis and butthead on that shit cracked i watched Chappelle's show yeah. so it was tosh tosh point oh and so i'm watching it and then so it's episode of tosh and so tosh came up with slap Lick fondle. So I'm, I'm telling you, I got this from Tosh 2.0, Tosh point oh. Um, but instead of fuck Mary kill, we gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try out slap lick fondle with three wines. Okay. For you, I'm gonna give you three wine regions. So okay. one one slap, one you lick, one you fondle. All right, you ready? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Bordeaux, Tuscany, Burgundy. Which one are you slapping? Which one are you licking? Which one are you fondle? All right, so I'm gonna go burgundy for fondle. Okay. Yeah, that'd be. I like Bourgogne stuff, but it's not my favorite. Okay. So that could just be like, all right, later. Um. First, what's the other two? Slap. Slap and lick. Slap and lick. Um, slap is going to be Bordeaux. Because it's like love it or don't like it at all for me. Got it. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that could be slap. 
good or a slap bad? I, 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 I was going to qualify. I was like, does Will think I'm talking about slap that ass? Like, I'm like, no, like, no, no, no. No, I get what you're saying. Like, like, it could be either. Right, like, like, so, like, like if it's Chateau Margot, mm, I'm, I'm slapping that. But then there's the other shit in Bordeaux. I'm like, mm, I could do it out. Yeah, those heavy Merlot-driven ones could go. They'll get... Um, and then Tuscany might be my favorite wine region of in the whole world. Yeah. So that I have to be my. That's your lick. That's my lick. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, <coughs> wow. See, I've been real fortunate pocket. enough to spend a lot of time in Tuscany, and it's literally. I just fell in love. It's there. your spot. That's my spot. Yeah. I just think, and I told you earlier, I think the Sangiovese grape in, in general is just. The value, everything that everything you can make from it, the Chianti classicals, the super Tuscans, yo, it's just bananas, yeah, yeah. So, um, speak, speaking of which, um, this started as a fucking joke, right? It was like it was actually it, it started as we getting too banged up in the studio. That's how it actually started. Then it became, well, let's have some fun with it, right? And it became a joke. Yep. You've educated yourself. You've had the opportunity to travel around wine. You're you're you you worked at Winebow. Winebow had one at one point. Leonardo had one of the best Italian, Italian wine books. Wine well, I don't think it's debatable. Sure. Um, so you know some shit about wine. Yep. Um, what was is there a bottle of wine that really like once you started going down this journey of wine? Yeah. Was there a bottle of wine that just like fucking knocked your sides? Like you like oh my god I I I'm I'm all in on this wine thing. Um. I don't think it was one brand in particular, okay. but there was one type of wine in particular. And that was when I first discovered Amarone. Mm. And I was previously, I like big, bold reds, dry yeah. reds, yeah. but um, from Cali or other places. But then working for Winebow, I guess you go to like these massive tastings and you yeah. get to taste some really nice wines yeah. as you go around the different tables. Yeah. And I discovered Amarone. And for those that don't know, Amarone is a grape, is a is a wine that comes from grapes that are partially dried. Mm -hmm. So you get this larger concentration of it, and it's like, oh my god, I just that that was the breaking point for me with wine. Yeah, yeah, because it also is a little reminiscent of maybe some other spirits. Yep, you know what I mean, like some cognac or something yep. like that. It's yep. So, which I still was my preference. So. It's, it's port-like because, like you said. It is kind of portish. Because, because you have the, you know, and I know like uh, Corvino, Ron, I can't, I should know this shit, but I'm not too, I'm just not. Rondonello. Rondonello. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they lay them out on mats in the sun. In the and, leaves. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and they get really concentrated. And like Amarone, easily 15, 16% alcohol. Absolutely. Easily. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, for people at home, it's a little more expensive. If you're yeah, looking yeah. to go get a bottle, it's normally yeah. 50 bucks or above, yeah. but well worth it. And it's also a little gem for people. If if you leave fruit on your table and the longer you leave it on the table, what happens to it? It gets a little more sweeter as it ripens, right? Right. So the same happens for Amaroni. So you get this natural – it's not sweet per se, but you get a little more um, natural sugar right. with it, not residual sugar. Right. So. I love it for that. It's just my favorite. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love that. And so, with all you do, um, 
I know you, your daughter just got married. It's your daughter's birthday. You want to shout your daughter? Yeah, yeah. big 30. <laughs> Go, Googie. <laughs> um, what are you most um, excited about for in the future? With my kids? Just like whatever, life, whatever, what like is it, it could be your kids, it could be um projects you have on or just or just could be your continued journey of exploration. I'll be honest, man, just as you get older you just want health first and foremost. Yeah. Um I think it's something like everyone's like, Oh, I wanna be rich. I, I, you know, whatever. I've had success. Health and happiness with your family, that's really being rich, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Other than that, I would love to have some grandkids at some point. I have two of my three daughters that are married now. So little bambinos running around yeah. at some point. You know, stuff like that is a blessing. I have some new companies that I'm about to launch that you guys will learn about at some point. Cool. What I'm really excited about right now. That's going to be, I mean, top of the line stuff. So you'll hear about that soon as well. That's what's up. That's yeah, what's man. up, man. Well, man, thank you so much for coming in, man. Yeah, I, I really, mean, really appreciate uh, being here with you, man. No, I, this was this was really good for me, man. Uh, um, thanks for sharing everything you shared. Um, tell people where, where they can find you, how you can be a part of what you're doing. Uh, do you have a website for yourself? Do your Instagram? Where can people find you? Yeah, you could go to for if you're interested in following True Wine Connoisseurs. It's True Wine Connoisseurs on Instagram, mm -hmm. or you could follow my personal page, Will Television. And that'll keep you updated on everything I do on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and for all the listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you find info on the wines we drink. Um, I will put list the wines we drink, but uh, and and we I don't know what's going on with the wines, but you heard Will say, yeah. you know, you know uh, he'll keep keep you updated. Yeah, at least. <laughs> you go to go to the IG, stay uh, stay updated. You there know you what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and you know links to things we discuss the show uh, and so much more. So until next time, cheers to the Mavericks. Philosophers, deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers, it's your boy MJ saying peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>